On behalf of Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our pastor and teacher, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study designed to help us grow in the Word. On a Sunday morning back in April, we looked at Galatians 5.13 and the fact that uh, we have been called to freedom in Christ. And and, and we learned that this gospel freedom we have is not for self-centeredness and selfish fulfillment, but so that through love we may serve one another. And then last week in our study in Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 10, we learned that Christ has sovereignly given to each and every believer a spiritual gift, along with the enabling grace to use that gift in service to Christ in the local church. And so from these two studies, we've learned that we've been freed to serve, And we've been given gifts and the enabling power to serve. But what does it mean to be a servant? What does it mean to be a servant? You know, someone may be thinking, well, duh, it means to serve. (laughs) Well, yeah, it does mean to serve. That's what a servant does. Uh, But there's certainly more that can be said about being a servant of God. So in our time together this morning, I want to take a brief look at the profile of a servant. The profile of a servant. And, and first of all, you know, what is a servant? We, we should define the term. Well, there are four families of, of Greek words that are directly related to this subject, but there are two that, that are the most significant. And the first is the Greek word duleo, which means, literally means to slave. It means to serve as if a slave in a humble manner. In fact, it could be translated, be slaving for. And it speaks of serving others just as a slave must carry out his responsibilities to his master. It's, it's a relationship of, of subjection in which one is subject to another's will. And in the New Testament, it focuses on the Christian's submission to Jesus as Lord. Of course, a slave was not his own person. He was required to do his master's will, not his own. Slave was bound to serve not his own interest, but the interest of his master. So every believer here this morning is a servant in the sense of being a slave of Jesus Christ. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do we... Become, how did we come to be a slave of Christ? Well, Paul said in Romans 5 that we were once slaves of sin. But having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness, slaves of God. You say, well, yes, but how did this happen? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? And then he said, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. And so glorify God in your body. And we were purchased. We were bought with a price, a very high price. And we were redeemed from the slave market of sin by the precious blood of Christ. And so Paul says we're no longer our own. We belong to God. I mean, we belong to him lock, stock, and barrel. We are slaves of Christ. And having been freed from sin, we willingly begin this joyful privilege of becoming enslaved to Christ, who is our loving master. And so, as Peter said, we are to live the rest of, uh, the rest of our time no, in the flesh, no longer, we're to live the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer for human passion but for the will of God. We're no longer our own. We've been bought for a price. We're no longer to to live for our passions, but rather we're to live for the will of God. 
And in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul said, He, Christ, died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So when we were born again, our sins were forgiven, and according to Hebrews 9.14, the blood of Christ purified our conscience in order for us to serve the living God. And so we are slaves of Christ. As believers, we are slaves of Christ. We are here to live not for ourselves, but rather for him who died for our sake. And so the first word that is directly related to this issue of being a servant is duleo, slave. We are enslaved to Jesus Christ. And the second word is a Greek word, diakoneo, from which we get our English word deacon. And it means to care for, to serve speaks of service, to wait upon, to minister to, to relieve, to support, to supply. Again, it speaks of serving others. And the original meaning of this word group had to do with performing menial tasks, such as waiting on tables. But that definition gradually broadened until it came to include any kind of service in the church. And so it's a concept that includes all the service within the body of Christ through the use of one's spiritual gift or gifts. It's the word that Jesus used when he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as Paul said again in Galatians 5.13, we have been called to freedom so that through love we may serve one another. And so in answer to our question, what is a servant? He or she is a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitted to God's will, not his own, and being in submission to the will of God, the believer also serves God's people using his or her spiritual gifts for the benefit of those in the body of Christ. So very simply put, a servant is a slave of Christ who serves him by serving his people. You know, we are here to serve the living God. And as we learned last week, we are all called to serve. Every Christian is to be involved in some form of spiritual service. We're we're all to be actively serving Christ and his church. And this is why the Lord Jesus has sovereignly given every believer a spiritual gift, measured out in just the right portion to accomplish the task that he has for them and the enabling grace to do it. If he didn't intend on us serving, why give us a gift? And of course, our spiritual gifts are not all the same. They differ both in kind and in degree. Some have received one gift, some another. But the fact is, the Lord distributes these different gifts according to his sovereign purpose. So that means we're not all called to be pastor teachers or elders or, or missionaries or evangelists. But we are all called to serve one another. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 1 Peter 4, 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so we are all called to serve the living God. And our service may be as public as preaching or teaching, you know, being a part of, of the worship ministry, being a part of the leadership. But for most people, their service is something behind the scenes that, that quite honestly often goes unnoticed. You know, like working in the nursery, children's ministry, folding the bulletins, vacuuming the church, cleaning the bathrooms, picking up trash on, on the church grounds, setting up, tearing down, and, and cleaning up after a potluck or a special event, locking up after everyone leaves, taking meals to families, running errands for others, providing transportation, maintaining and, and repairing the church building, cutting weeds, etc., etc., etc. You know, spiritual gifts are given for spiritual service to the body of Christ, and there are many, many ways to serve the body. One man said, serving is as commonplace as the practical needs it seeks to meet. And you see, one of the beauties of of being a servant of Christ, one of the beauties of servanthood, is that for the most part, it doesn't require some special talent or some special spiritual gift. In fact, the most common spiritual gift among believers, I believe, is is simply the gift of helping. 
It's listed there in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. That word helping uh, means just that, to help. Just helping. You know, it means to aid, to assist, to help. Just, just helping, just being present, available, and ready and willing to help and serve however they can with whatever needs to be done. It doesn't require special spiritual gift or talent to sweep floors or, or clean windows or pick up trash or, or run a weed eater or, or straighten the chairs. And not that any of those things are unimportant. In fact, they are all vitally important because all of these things need to be done, must be done, so that the church can function properly. I mean, the point is simply that many of these things don't require a special spiritual gift. But what it does require is a servant's heart and attitude. I read about a well-known Bible teacher who spoke to a men's group at a church in the Washington, D.C. area. And after, after the meeting was over, he noticed a man who stayed behind to remove and stack the chairs. And he inquired about, about the man and, and found out that he was a, a very busy U.S. senator. I mean, it didn't take the talent and ability of a senator to stack chairs. But it sure took the heart and attitude of a servant. You see, loved ones, no one ever gets to a place within society as a whole or within the body of Christ in particular where he or she is too important to serve others in the ordinary menial tasks of life. Every Christian is called to serve. I mean, there, there is no such thing as spiritual unemployment or spiritual retirement in the kingdom of God. Now, in saying that, let me add this. Certainly there are times and seasons when due to age, physical disabilities and limitations, when an individual may be limited in what they can do. That's un- we understand that. That's understandable. But there are ways to serve even when we have physical limitations. I mean, those saints, I mean, they can pray for the church and for the pastor and for the leadership. They can give. They, they can support the church in that way. They can encourage others. They can write letters. They can send cards. They can disciple a new believer or a believer who's not as far along in, in their walk. And that's just to name a few things. So even those with, uh, who are physically limited as to what they can do, they can still serve. And the, and the point is simply that as slaves of Christ, We're called to serve him for the building up of the body and and for his glory. And with regard to our serving, God is as concerned about the servant as he is the service. You see, if all God wanted to do was to get the work done, well, he could send angels who could do the work much faster and, and far, far better. But God uses servants to accomplish his work. And he is concerned about the servant and how he or she serves. How we do that. God is concerned with our attitudes and our motives. Because you see, it's entirely possible to succeed in Christian work. I mean, to get results and yet be a failure in serving in ministry because we're serving with the wrong attitudes and the wrong motives. And so, what are the things that you look for in the life of a servant of Christ? You know, what what does Scripture tell us a servant of Christ looks like? What what makes for a godly servant? Let's look at at just a brief profile uh, of a servant of God. First of all, A servant of God is humble. And we talked about humility last week or the week before. But if there's one character trait that is needed to be a servant, it's humility. I mean, it's essential to the Christian life, not only to being a servant, but it's essential in serving. Yet, humility is certainly not a a popular characteristic in the modern world. I mean, humility is not touted on the talk shows or in the media. There are not any seminars given on how to be a humble person. 
You go to the massive self-help section of Barnes and Noble and you won't find books on humility. Yet we're told in the Word of God that we as Christians are to be humble people. We're to clothe ourselves with humility. We, we are to humble ourselves. And as we learned in Ephesians, the word humility is literally lowly-mindedness. But that doesn't involve an attitude of self-deprecation. Humility is not thinking little of yourself. It's not thinking highly of yourself, obviously. Humility is thinking rightly about yourself. It's making a right estimate of yourself. And humility comes from a true knowledge of ourselves, which is found in the Word of God. And so humility comes not by focusing on ourselves, not by comparing ourselves to others, but by focusing on Christ and seeing ourselves in light of who he is, because he is the standard. And as we focus on him, it keeps things in perspective. It shows us how poor and needy we really are, and it keeps us in that place of humble dependence upon his mercy and grace. One man said, humility is the mindset of Christ, the servant's mindset, a focus on God and others, a pursuit of the recognition and the exaltation of God, and a desire to glorify and please God in all things and by all things he has given. I mean, those who are humble are, are, are neither high-minded nor easily offended nor self-centered, and they never insist on their own way. Instead, the humble are always looking beyond themselves esteeming other believers as better than themselves. The humble are oriented toward a loving service to others. They're always looking for ways to serve and assist others, even in the lowliest of tasks. They take the initiative to reach out and serve others. A humble person is alert to the little things that need to be done, doesn't just walk by them and, and let them go and leave it to someone else, but, but quietly, without fanfare, just does them. They have no need to be recognized or approved. There's no competition with God or others. A, a humble person's goal is to elevate God and encourage others. I mean, they, they're always seeking to build others up. Humble people are submissive and obedient to those in authority. They have a teachable spirit. They, they realize they don't know everything, and they're quick to admit it when they're wrong. Of course, Jesus was the perfect example of the perfect humble servant. And he set the example of humble, selfless service by his willingness to be the least of all his disciples and to be the servant of all. You know, in John chapter 13, Jesus uh, took off his outer cloak, wrapped himself with a towel, got down on his hands and knees, and, and took the job of the lowest servant and washed the disciples' feet. And he did this as an example of how all of his followers are to serve in humility. And a humble servant will serve behind the scenes, willingly responding to the smallest, most menial task with their whole heart because nothing is considered beneath them. And it's utterly sad that within the church today we have uh, so many celebrities but, but fewer and fewer servants. There are always people who want a position, always people who want to exercise authority, but not many who want to take the towel and basin and wash feet. You know, in this life, we will always have to deal with the flesh that says, you know, if I have to serve, I want to get something for it. You know, I want to be recognized. I want people to know how humble I really am. <laughs> One man said, the flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. It will devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. And of course, it is only by the power of the Spirit that we can overcome the desires of the flesh for recognition and, and then serve the Lord and others in humility. So let me ask you, and can you serve your boss or those in authority over you and others you work with, helping them to succeed and be happy even when they are promoted and you're overlooked? 
Can you minister to the needs of those whom God exalts and men honor when you yourself are neglected? Can you pray for the ministry of others to prosper when it would cast yours in the shadows? That's serving with humility. It's putting the needs and interest of others before your own. And that's why the flesh so strongly rebels against it. And if you want to know how well you're doing as a humble servant, just remember this. The way you feel when people treat you like a servant is a good indication of how you're doing in the area of humility and humble servanthood. And so first of all, a servant is humble. And without humility... We cannot love God supremely, and we cannot love and serve others. And loved ones, I am convinced that in the church and in parachurch ministries, there are problems, difficulties, and frustrations that would immediately begin to dissolve if some Christians would simply heed the word of God, humble themselves, have the mind or the attitude of Christ, the attitude of a servant that should characterize all who belong to him. And so the key really to being a godly servant is humility. It's essential in the life of a Christian and, and in, in being a servant of Christ. Second is faithfulness. Faithfulness. You know, many of us find ourselves in positions, even within the body of Christ, where we are under the, the authority or supervision of someone. For example, in the church, the Sunday school teacher reports to the person who oversees the children's ministry. In our case, it's one of our elders. Members of the worship team are under the authority of uh, the, the worship leader. The staff reports to the pastor and so forth. And the common, deni- common denominator in all of these is carrying out the instructions or directions of someone over us. And as we serve in the body of Christ, One of the most important character traits in a servant is that of faithfulness or trustworthiness. Can the person over us count on us to follow instructions and do what we've been asked or told to do and do it in a timely manner? Can they depend on us to do it in the way we have been asked to do it and to do it with excellence as unto the Lord? Because so many times, if it's the church, oh, well, it's just the church. I mean, I can wait. But here, why get this new thing for the church, give them this old used junky thing? I mean, few things are more disturbing, distressing, and frustrating to a person responsible for the work of others than to be unable to count on people to be where they're supposed to be and to do the job they have been asked to do, or the job that they signed up to do. As Proverbs 25, 19 says in the New King James Version, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. After serving for nearly 50 years in both a Christian organization and a local church, one godly Christian man said this, My observation after years of serving is that the lack of serious commitment to faithfulness in assigned or agreed on tasks is a major problem among Christians. And that's right. And perhaps it's because we we somehow feel that if we're serving in a volunteer capacity, commitment and faithfulness are, are somehow not important. But as Christians, in regard to Christ and his church, we're not volunteers. We're slaves. We are duty-bound servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, the high King of heaven, and he expects faithfulness in his servants. And we need to understand that. 
God requires his servants to be faithful. In writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And we're stewards of everything that God has given us, including our spiritual gift and its use. And Jesus said, And if you have not been faithful in, what, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Well, no one in their right mind. So whether our responsibilities to serve have been given to us directly by God or by someone over us in the church, it doesn't matter. In either case, God requires that we be faithful in carrying out our assigned or accepted responsibilities. And so if you've signed up and committed to do something or you've been asked to do something, then be faithful to do it. Finish the task. You know, complete the job in a timely manner and do it with Uh, the utmost excellence. You know why? Because according to Scripture, ultimately, you're supposed to be doing it as unto the Lord. And we shouldn't do anything half-heartedly for the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so all of life, Everything we do, whether in work or family or ministry, serving in the church, be it immensely significant or utterly mundane, it's to be done to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. And this, of necessity, means being faithful, trustworthy, and dependable. And look, you don't have to be smart, talented, or gifted to be faithful. Faithfulness is something very down-to-earth. And every one of us can be faithful in our service to the Lord. And perhaps there are some who are waiting to be faithful. You know, you tell yourself, well, I'll be faithful when I'm in such and such a position. Well, that's utter nonsense. Because we should be faithful right where we're at. Our faithfulness is shown in the small things. And until we're faithful in the small things... We will never be faithful in bigger things. Faithfulness is what God is looking for in a servant. In fact, he requires it of us. And so we all need to ask ourselves, am I faithful? Am I faithful? Thirdly, a servant knows the source of his strength. You know, as an apostle and servant of Christ, the apostle Paul was totally dependent upon God because he knew that God was the source of his strength. And that's why he said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though, he said, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You know, Paul knew as the psalmist declared in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, Paul could continue in his service to the Lord in the midst of of the most severe trials and difficulties because he knew the source of his strength. He knew that God was his strength. He wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. And he said, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to to his service. I mean, Paul had an amazing life of powerful ministry for the Lord. I mean, his life and ministry brought about tremendous results for God's kingdom. But he knew, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, and he was always quick to acknowledge it, that it was because of God from start to finish. Paul knew that whatever accomplishments he was able to to point to in his life, it was all because of Christ, who was the all-sufficient source of his strength. And it's important for every servant of Christ to know and understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is the source of our strength. I mean, whatever God calls us to do, he also enables us to do. 
And he never asked a believer to, to do something without providing the grace and the strength to do it. And so whether it's living a holy life or walking in obedience to his word or, or walking in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh or you know, using the spiritual gift or gifts he's given us, Christ will enable us to do it as we yield ourselves to him in humble trust and dependence. I mean, he is the source of our strength. And when we minister in God's strength, as Nehemiah said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Well, let's don't take that wrongly. He'll prosper us, but it may not be in the dimensions we expect or desire. It may be that we labor long and hard with little tangible results or evidence of success, but on that day when we stand before Christ, we will be a success if we faithfully served Him in humble dependence upon His power and strength. And we will hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, Paul was dependent upon God. He knew the source of his strength. So a servant of of God knows the source of his strength. Number four. Prayer is a priority in the life of a servant. You know, the apostle Paul was a man of prayer. He was dependent upon God to do the work he had been called to do, and so he knew he had to pray, that he must pray. And so he prayed. And we can tell from the prayers that Paul recorded in the New Testament that he had a disciplined prayer life, and that prayer was a priority in his life. You see, you and I will never get much done for God without prayer. We will never be able to properly serve or lead in any capacity without prayer. Oh, we think we can. We think we can handle it at times. And so oftentimes the Lord lets us fall flat on our face. Or he will humble us. We'll never be able to properly serve or lead in any capacity without prayer being a priority. As John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You know, Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today that I will, I, I will not get through the day with less than three hours prayer. And I'm not advocating you get on your knees and pray for three hours, but my point is simply that Luther understood that the more he had to do, it was going to take more prayer. Prayer must be a priority in our lives. And that is why Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.1, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And so as we serve the Lord, no matter whether the task is great or whether the task is small, the the first thing we must always do is pray and see God's guidance, direction, and his divine power. As R.A. Torrey said, pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, but above all, pray. You know, as Paul said in in Philippians 4, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. You know, don't worry about anything, he's saying. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, he said, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul certainly followed his own advice. You know, prayer is a priority in the life of a servant of God. And so a servant is humble, faithful, he knows the source of his strength, and prayer is a priority in his life. What about a servant's motives? What about the servant's motives? What, what should motivate us in serving? Well, first of all, our serving should be motivated by obedience. And we should desire to serve the Lord because we want to obey Him. I 
I mean, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that every Christian is to be involved in, in some form of spiritual service with the gift God has given them. So a servant of God is going to desire to serve because he or she wants to obey Christ. I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Servant loves Christ. He, he wants to obey Christ. And so our serving should be motivated by obedience. I mean, that's pretty simple. Number two, our, our, our serving should be motivated by gratitude. By gratitude. Do you remember what it's like not to know Christ? Do you remember what it's like to be without Him and, and without hope? Do you remember what it's like to be guilty before God and unforgiven? And then do you remember when you received Christ and, and experienced His love and forgiveness? And Jesus has never done anything greater for anyone, nor could he do anything greater for us than to save us, forgive us, adopt us into his family, give us eternal life, and the promise of living with him forever and ever. I mean, what has God ever given anyone that is greater than the salvation that he has freely given to us? And so when we get tired and, and weary in serving, you know, the fires of, of serving grow cold, we need to remember what what all the, we need to remember all the great things that Christ has done for us and in gratitude be motivated to serve him. Gratitude should motivate our serving. And number three, our service should also be motivated by gladness. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, we're to serve the Lord with gladness. We're not to serve the Lord grudgingly or grimly, but, but gladly. And you know what? Something is, is very wrong in our hearts if we can't serve the Lord with gladness. I mean, look, I understand why the person who's serving God only out of obligation or trying to work their way to heaven doesn't serve with gladness. I, I got that. But the Christian? You know, the Christian who has any kind of understanding at all of, of what God has done for him in Christ, I mean, he should be able to serve the Lord cheerfully and gladly with his whole heart. I mean, serving the Lord should be, should be something you enjoy, you look forward to. Of course, that doesn't mean serving is not hard, difficult, and exhausting. It is, at times. But it shouldn't be a burden, but rather a great joy. And if it is a burden, you need to examine your heart and ask why. Serving shouldn't be a burden, but a, but a great joy, because it is a great privilege to serve the living Christ. So let me ask you, do your, your children, your, your spouse, your family, your friends, your, your co-workers... Do they get the impression from you that serving the Lord is something you really enjoy or something that you just simply have to endure? Because the answer to that question speaks volumes about your heart and where you're at as a believer. Because our service should be motivated by gladness. I mean, we have all people uh, have so much to be thankful for and so much to be glad about. Our service should also be motivated by love. Love for Christ, love for his church, love for his people. I mean, it only stands to reason that if you truly love someone, you're going to do anything and everything that you can do for them. You're going to want to give them the best that you can possibly give. And, and, I mean, and you're going to give them the, the, the best, even to the point of giving your very life for them, if that's what it takes. You know, God so loved us that he gave his only son. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. He saved us, made us his own. Spirit indwells us. He's poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we love him, of course, because he first loved us, loved us. 
And as a result of that love, we're, we're, we're to give our lives. According to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, we're to present our bodies as, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. That word spiritual means logical or reasonable. The word worship means service. It speaks of worshipful service. And so because of our love for Christ, uh, you know, when we understand all that God has done in light of all of his mercies toward us, we're to offer ourselves to him totally, completely, giving ourselves to him without reservation, serving him out of our great love and gratitude for all that he has done. And look, without love, our service becomes nothing but drudgery. Nothing but drudgery. But when the love of Christ constrains us or, or compels us, the result, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.15, is that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. And really, all these things we're talking about, this is Christianity 101. This isn't for some elite class of you know, theologians or uh, Christians, this is Christianity 101. This is, every, this is what every believer's life is to be like. And the more we love the Lord, the closer we draw to Him, the more we're going to love one another and desire to serve one another out of our love for Christ and all that He's done for us. And so as a result, there are things that we would not normally do, but we're willing to do them because we love Him. We do it out of our love for Christ. And someone once asked a missionary to a very remote part of Africa if he liked what he was doing. And his response was somewhat shocking. And he said, do I like this work? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go and we go because the love of Christ constrains us. You know, if... If the motivation for our serving is anything less than Christ's love, his love for us and our love for him, then our serving is not going to really meet human needs or glorify God. It's just superficial. It's a religious sham. And if our motivation for serving is not love for Christ, then we need to do some self-examination. We need, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why? And then we need to confess our lack of love to the Lord and ask Him to warm the affections of our hearts. Because lack of being obedient to Christ in any and all of the things that He calls us to do comes back to one primary issue, a lack of love for Him. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So this all comes back to a lack of love for Christ and a real big love for ourself. So we need to examine our hearts. We need to confess our lack of love to the Lord Jesus and, and then ask him to warm the affections of our hearts and and then pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us in the inner man and enable us to know, to, to experience a depth of love that our minds are unable to grasp. As Paul said in Ephesians, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And we should be motivated to faithfully serve our Lord out of love for Him and His church. But our primary motivation for serving the Lord is His glory. Primary motivation for serving should be the glory of God. That is the most important. Because the glory of God is what salvation and ministry are all about. God saved us, Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. We sang it this morning. In Ephesians 1.12, Paul says that 
God saved us that we who trust, first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And again, he commands us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so whatever we do and in all that we do, even down to the simple mundane things of life like eating and drinking, we're to do them in such a way as to bring glory to God. And if our primary motive for serving is anything other than the glory of God, what we do will, only, will be only religious activity and, and not genuine Christian ministry. Someone says, oh, but I want to help people. I, you know, I want to relieve their suffering. Well, that's noble. It really is. But that is not a motive worthy of a Christian. Because you see, Muslims, Mormons, other false religious groups and secular philanthropic organizations do humanitarian work. They relieve suffering. They help people. And, and again, that is a noble work. But what should set us apart as Christians is that what we do, we are doing it for the glory of God. I mean, philanthropy can meet human needs, but only Christian ministry can share God's love and glorify God's great and holy name. I mean, someone has defined glorifying God as making God look good before a disobedient and unbelieving world. Well, how do we know when our serving is really glorifying God? Well, number one, we glorify God when by His grace we do what others do not expect us to do, things they wouldn't do for us, but we do them because we love Jesus. The Apostle Paul described it best in 2 Corinthians 4, 8-11. through He said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. You see, glorifying God means living for the eternal, living by faith, willing to endure the sufferings of this present time because we know the Father's well done is going to be heard one of these days. And glorifying God means being willing to become nothing, that Christ may be everything. Secondly, God is glorified in our serving when people see the Savior and not the servant. You know, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And so, you that, so you will get all the accolades and honors. Well, that's, no, that's not what it says. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, you and I have to decide whether we will magnify Christ or promote ourselves. And because we don't always understand our own motives, it's possible to be in Christian service for reasons other than the glory of God. I mean, some people are involved in ministry only for personal gain. They may desire the authority and recognition that are often associated with ministry. Or maybe they just enjoy having opportunities to show off their talents. You know, it's doubtful that anybody ever does anything out of a purely unselfish motive, but by the grace and strength that God supplies, you know, by his help, we can certainly try. Thirdly, God is glorified when our serving produces fruit. Jesus said, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Loved ones, there's a, there's a great difference between fruit and and results. You see, you can get results by following surefire formulas and, and manipulating people or by your own dynamic personality, if you have one. <laughs> but as Warren Wiersbe said, spiritual fruit comes from spiritual life. And when the spirit of life is working through the word of life, the seed planted the seed is planted, and that fruit has in it the seed for more fruit. 
You see, results are, are counted. And very soon after, they become nothing but silent statistics. But living fruit remains and continues to multiply to the glory of God. You see, our lives and, and our service and ministry present us with, with two opportunities. The opportunity to glorify God or the opportunity to glorify ourselves and, and our ministry, our, our service. And so Christian service and ministry brings with it many subtle temptations to pride and, and selfish ambition. And these have to be resisted to the very end. Because God will not share his glory with another. As the psalmist said, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. When our only desire is to glorify the Lord, we are more than willing to step aside and let others use their gifts. Because we don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets all the glory. But you see, it's, it's so easy to lose that essential focus on God's glory. And you know, when that happens, and you just end up depressed and, and burned out because you think it's all about you. But it's not. It's about God and His glory. We can't lose sight of that. Because personal sacrifice, trials, and difficulties abound in the ministry. But all those things become insignificant when you live and serve for the glory of God alone. I mean, it, it is necessary. It is necessary that we live, work, and serve with only God's glory in view and make every task Every task, every every job, no matter how common or small, an oppor- no, no matter how common or small, we need to make everything, every opportunity, uh, an opportunity to glorify God. One man said, "It is health to our souls to renew our vision of God's glory as the great reason for our being here in the world and the inspiration for every task given to us by the King." And I hope and pray that one day you and I will be able to say to the Father what Jesus said to him. Father, I've glorified you on the earth because I finished the work that you gave me to do. So our obedience should be motivated, our serving should be motivated by obedience, gladness, gratitude, humility, and love but our primary motivation for serving the Lord should always be for His glory, for the glory of God. There are challenges in being a servant. You know, for most Christians, serving takes effort. I mean, what is there that we do that doesn't take effort? You know, some people uh, almost think that once you discover your spiritual gift, serving is blissful, effortless joy. Well, it's not true. Ephesians 4.12, which we'll get to next week, Lord willing, speaking on the purpose of the gifts, Paul said, therefore the equipping of the saints for the what? Work. For the work of ministry. And sometimes serving God and others is nothing less than just hard work. I mean, Paul describes his serving in Colossians 1.29. He said, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that Greek word translated toil means to labor to the point of extreme fatigue. You know, to, to work to the point of exhaustion. I mean, it speaks of physical and mental exhaustion. And the word struggling in the Greek is the word from which we get our English word agonize. And it conveys the idea of of an athlete straining every muscle and every tendon to win the race. And the words together describe the tremendous energy Paul expended in, in the ministry. 
And this, of course, doesn't mean that it was miserable toil. No, the, the reason Paul worked so hard is that he loved the Lord so much he, and, and he loved serving him. But the point is simply that serving God is quite often hard, exhausting work. And honestly, that, that, that whole thought of hard, exhausting work, it's kind of foreign today. What? Work that hard? But the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to serve Him. And so we work hard, but it's by God's grace and power. And as Paul said, I worked harder than any of them. I wasn't bragging, that was just a fact. He said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. And he gave the, the credit where credit belongs. He said, it was the grace of God that's within me. I mean, serving is hard work and it takes time. It's not convenient where do we ever get the idea that serving is a matter of convenience? Let me check my schedule and see if I'm available to serve Christ. Where in the world did that idea ever come from? I mean, following Christ is not a matter of convenience. Because there are always more entertaining things to do. So serving is hard work, it takes time, it's not convenient. And if for no other reason serving is hard, because it means serving people, right? Right? I mean, you all interact with people all throughout the week. You're serving people, people are serving you out in the world. You know what it's like to work with people. So serving can be hard sometimes because it means serving people. And they're just some mean, cranky, you know, nasty old curmudgeon Christians. They need to straighten up. <laughs> but following Jesus' example of servanthood means being a willing and faithful servant in the hard place, the lonely place, the demanding place, and the obscure place. I mean, it's being willing to serve in the place where you're unappreciated, where people are inconsiderate and ungrateful. It's serving Christ for His glory, whether or not our service is ever noticed or we are ever thanked. But although serving is often hard, unappreciated work, I will say this, there is absolutely no work that is so rewarding. Because all that we do in Jesus' name and for His glory is going to endure for all eternity. And I, I, I mentioned it before, but one day Christ is going to reward us. And He's going to say to those who have served Him faithfully, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. And he's going to reward us with far more than, than we could ever, ever imagine. And so what is a servant? A slave of Jesus Christ who serves him by serving his people for the building up of the body of Christ. When a servant of Christ is humble, faithful, he knows the source of his strength and prayer is a priority in his life. He's motivated by his obedience or by obedience, by gratitude, gladness, his love for Christ and his church. But his primary motivation is for the glory of God. And though serving God is quite often hard, exhausting work, the Holy Spirit enables and empowers him to serve, and all that he does in Jesus' name and for his glory is going to endure, endure for all eternity. That's the profile of a servant. So it's not just someone who serves, it's little more than that. There's more involved. So that's the profile. How does your life match up to this profile of a servant of God that we've taken from the Word of God? Are you faithful? Humble? You know the source of your strength? Is prayer a priority in your life? Are you motivated by obedience, gratitude, gladness, love for Christ and his people? 
Is your primary motivation the glory of God? How does your life match up to this profile of a servant of God? I'd like you to go home and think about it. I mean, you should think about it. I've been having to think about it. So we should all think about it. And ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Lord, what kind of servant am I? Do I even serve? And if not, why not? I'm praying that God will work all of these things in my heart and in your heart. I'm praying that he works all of these things in our hearts and lives for his glory and for the building up of this body of believers for his glory. Amen. On behalf of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, we hope and pray this study will help you continue growing in the Word. If you've been blessed by today's message, or if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 530-547-4400. Again, 530-547-4400. Or write to us at P.O. Box 837, Palisadro, California, 96073. You can also email us through the church website at calvarybiblepc.org, calvarybiblepc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you. It's your love that makes me see. It's your word that comforts me by your blood. We've been set free.